This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We went off to poor St. Louis, and those poor little guys, I mean, they had a great year. They were the best team in baseball, if you want to say. They won 100-plus games, but they had no chance because guess what? Jimmy, you know what we're doing. Bam, bam, bam. And we won four straight games, so we went 6-0. and Symbolic toast, we'll call it. Sox Nation. Hey now, what's cracking everybody? Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast, episode 9 already. I cannot believe we've done this 9 times. Not to go all Ferris Bueller on y'all, but damn, this show is moving quickly. And we've got another great one lined up for you today. My guests for episode 9 are former Pittsburgh Steelers head coach and my colleague on the NFL Today on CBS, Bill Cowher, plus former Boston Red Sox legend and MLB Network host, Kevin Millar couple of conversations that I was hyped to have and two conversations that I think will help you see both these guys in a very different light. We have got another kick-ass episode in the can, the NFL and MLB on lockdown for you this week, and against my better judgment, I may even go back to the voicemail box. So pot up, episode nine starts right now. But first, a quick word from my pals at Ferguson. Ferguson is the nation's largest distributor of plumbing products, but... Their playbook goes deeper than plumbing. Pros know how to depend on Ferguson for the very best in waterworks, HVAC, commercial and mechanical, builder and facilities maintenance products and solutions. Ferguson has over 20,000 knowledgeable associates always working for you. And combine that with Ferguson's 1,400 locations and 24-7 online ordering and you will always have the home team advantage. See why the pros pick Ferguson at Ferguson.com today. That's Ferguson.com. So every single week when I sit down to do this podcast, I see this blinking red light on my machine. It's this constant, unfortunate reminder that this pristine podcast is tainted with a tape full of nonsensical bullshit. But the blinking red light is like a notification on the iPhone. As much as I don't care what's behind it, I would rather clear it than have to look at it continually. So let me get this out of the way so we can all move on to my conversation with Bill Cower. You have 13 new messages. First new message. Hi, Jim. It's Marilyn. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Mr. Radio Man, happy message deleted. Next message. Boy, yeah, Jim Rome, Macho Man, Randy Savage calling you. I want to say I love the podcast, digging it from up above. Oh, yeah, dig it. Message deleted. Next message. Jim Rome, I'll tell you what, after that Ohio State game, I felt more helpless than Mangino watching the donut roll down a hill. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, I'll tell you what, Rome, man. Uh, you got a pretty good new show here. I love the podcast, man. But I'll tell you what. I need to go back and coach the Raiders, man, because they look pretty, pretty bad, man. I'll tell you what. This is John Gruden, and I'm out, man. 
Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Jim. This is Pharrell on the toilet. Great job with the podcast. Message deleted. Next message. What's up, Jim? This is Sidney Crosby. Just calling to get the number of that girl who keeps talking about my big fat ass. I want to send her a pic of my big fat Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Jim. Jack Del Rio here. Uh, listen, I need you to talk to your girl, Sarah T. Uh, yeah, in Providence. She keeps sending me baskets and baskets of uh, corroded panties. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Jim Rome. This is Jeff in San Antonio. Hey, I just had the best. I just had the best cheeseburger, and it reminded me of you, Romy, because I remember one time you said that you ate a cheeseburger, too. <laughs> message deleted. Next message. Hey, Romy. Jed in Illinois here. You have provided so much for my personal life. I mean, sorry, I'm getting emotional. You brought us people who look like horses. The crank counter. Rat family. Boner and sweat. Message deleted. Next message. Romy, it's FBI Mike, and uh, I just got the news that my Dodgers won't have Corey Seager in the NLCS. <laughs> message deleted. Next message. Jeff in San Antonio. I, uh... <laughs> message deleted. Next message. Beyonce, Michael Jordan, global warming. <laughs> Message deleted. Next message. This is Andy from Rockland. Jeff is my idol right now. You know what? I love him. And all you trolls, fuck off. Message saved. You have no more messages. <laughs> Andy! Hey, Andy, thank you so much. Not for dropping that F-bomb, but for standing up for our man Jeff in San Antonio, whose only mistake in life was to call my radio program on Friday, wish me a happy birthday, and then get slightly, I mean a tiny bit emotional as he talked about some pretty big life events that were coming up. In case you have no idea what all these people are going on about and you missed that call, here's how it sounded. It's been a while since i talked to you, man, but uh, I got to let you know, I kind of see through your game. Um, I was listening when Janet had uh, Jake call you on your birthday. And he was talking about the Frisky Kitty. And I remember calling you shortly after that and just really kind of letting you know how cool that was. And as I'm sitting here waiting for my fiance at her appointment for us to deliver our first child, I wanted to let you know that you know when you find the one for you and it's really simple. And when she told me that we were going to name our girl Jordan after 45, I knew she was the one. And she picked the name out, not me. I'm the biggest Jordan honk that you can imagine, but I absolutely owe so much of where I've been in life to listening to your show. And I just wanted to wish you a happy birthday and knock them dead like you always do. And I want you to know that you're doing it right. And I want to leave you with this. The last thing that I can ever remember that really moved me in a way on your show was when I think it was Silk called and really kind of gave you props for having a, a morality and ethics show disguised as a sports show because it's obvious that that's what you set out to do a long time ago and you're not going to compromise it. So you haven't been giving yourself enough credit lately. And the last thing that I want to say 
is lexicon means a lot. I've got the fiance starting to hate the word allegedly. So props to you and knock them dead, Rome. War the San Antonio Spurs. War me and my fiance. And war Jordan. Out. So, ghouls. Congrats for picking on a guy who is expecting a daughter who is engaged to be married and tried his very best to make my show better while you hacks just kept making my podcast worse. You know, it's so funny. Before I got my Casper mattress, I was a bad sleeper. I'd toss and turn all night. I'd wake up achy and sore. I never put two and two together. My old mattress was the problem. Then I got a Casper mattress, and I've been sleeping cool and comfortably every night since. It's been life-changing. Casper uses design feedback from over 500,000 customers like me. Their sleep scientists have taken that feedback and created a remarkably supportive bed. Casper's comfort foams guarantee that you sleep cool and provide the right pressure relief and spinal alignment so you can keep perfectly balanced in cushiony comfort. Plus, Casper lets you try it for 100 nights in your home risk-free. They ship it to you for free in a box so small you will not believe it holds a mattress. And they'll come pick it up if you don't love it and they will refund you everything, no questions asked. You deserve to have a great night of sleep every single night. Get a Casper mattress like I did. Go to Casper.com slash Rome50. Use the code Rome50 and get 50 bucks off towards the purchase of your mattress. Casper.com slash Rome50. Code Rome50 for 50 bucks off. Terms and conditions do apply. So let me tell you a little something about Bill Cower. He's a legend. After replacing Hall of Famer Chuck Knoll when he was just 34, Cower made the playoffs in 10 of his 15 seasons, and he won a Super Bowl before walking away from coaching at just 49. But you cannot define Bill Cower by his career as a coach, or even by his second career at CBS, where he has been a staple of the NFL today since walking away while still on top of his game. Despite having to deal with me every other week on that show, my man carved out a nice chunk of his time to talk about his start in the game, his life after it, and how a guy grew up working in a steel mill now loves his life living in Manhattan. Romy, how are we doing? Thank you so much for doing this. I can't say how much I appreciate sure. you. Can't shake me. <laughs> Absolutely. What was it like to coach Ben when you had him? Well, you know, Jeremy, I had him his first three years, and I think part of the process when you got him was number one, he, you know, he came in and just had so much success early, winning his first fifteen games, uh, certainly going to the, to the championship his rookie year, winning the Super Bowl in the second year, and then certainly the third year he had, you know, the big the motorcycle accident in the off season. So it was a pretty eventful three years that I had him. And I think what I've seen from that time going on is he's a very competitive individual. Um, You know, he, at times, you know, he speaks very openly about how he feels, what he feels. And so I think sometimes people tend to to overreact to some of those things because I think he's just a very transparent individual. Um, A lot of people in, you know, in our society today tend to try to say the right thing and not act as though they're, they're trying to, disclose everything and Ben's just one of those guys that he's unfiltered and uh, you know so sometimes the things he says can kind of take uh, a pretty dramatic effect but really in his mind it's just kind of a part of who he is and so um, he's fine you know again you take it for what it's worth and uh, I think again what you see is he's still a leader of that team and players respond to him. 
Yeah, Bill, I think your situation is so fascinating, and especially post-coaching, which I want to get to in one minute. But I want to ask you one more thing about a quarterback. Aaron Rodgers breaking his collarbone obviously is so devastating to the Packers. It's a bad break for the NFL. Now, Packers coach Mike McCarthy took issue with the hit, saying it was illegal. Vikings coach Mike Zimmer, Bill, said that it's unfortunate, but it's football, and that it was a clean hit. Where do you come out? Do you have any issue at all with Anthony Barr's hit? No, I really don't. I mean, I, I think, you know... <laughs> You know, guys like Aaron Rodgers and Ben Roethlisberger, these these guys make a lot of plays running with the football outside the pocket. And, you know, so at times you got to make sure they're runners and they're, you know, they're not just quarterbacks. And so when you leave the pocket, you do become a runner. You do become subjected to, you know, being uh, looked upon that way and, and being tackled. And so I don't think it was anything maliciously done in terms of trying to drive them into the into the turf, and, uh, you know, I think he's not that type of player. He doesn't even have a history of that. So I understand Mike's position. It's very frustrating. You're talking about your franchise quarterback, Hall of Fame quarterback, and, you know, he's we saw what he's done just even in recent weeks, just the magic that he provides when he's on that field. So, you know, I think it's some frustration, and I'm sure from Mike's perspective, but as I looked at it, I didn't see anything malicious about it at all. Mm-hmm. I think that when people think of you, probably they think first Super Bowl winning coach, great leader, excellent motivator, fiery personality. Maybe now some think of you as a great broadcaster. Let's not forget, now you played in this league. What were you like as a player? <laughs> Overachiever. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I think honestly, really, I was, you know, I came into the league, I, I was 12 rounds, I was never drafted. Uh, I got cut my first year with the Eagles, and I got a second chance in Cleveland. And, you know, and I was blessed. I was able to play five years. I was like special teams captain um, my last year in Philadelphia. Um, played probably more in fourth down than I did on first, second, and third down. I was a special teams player. And, uh, you know, I backed up. Uh, could play inside, outside. I think I had a good feel for the game, understood the game, could learn multiple positions. And But, uh, you know, I, I you know, I was just, I, I was felt very fortunate. And I think the best, the luckiest thing that happened to me was the opportunity that Marty Schottenheimer gave me. You know, I was at the age of 28, and he got his first job as head coach. He had coached me. I was, and I'd left there and was traded to, to Philadelphia. And he gave me a chance to get in the level I never coached before. And so, you know, when you, you go right from playing to coaching in the NFL and you never leave it, um, there's a there's a certain, you know, I think uh, advantage you have in terms of dealing with the players. They respect you. They understand you sat in the seat they were in. And so I think it really helped a lot, particularly early in my career when I was very, very young. And so, uh, but I think as a player, again, I think when you do sit in that seat, you, you do understand, you know, what the expectations are, what the responsibilities are. You know, and the pressure there is, uh, you know, not just from in the inside, but the pressures that sometimes can get, can get put on you from your friends and family on the outside. Hmm. I was going to ask you about Marty because you played for him with the Browns when he was defensive coordinator, and then you would later coach under him when he was a head coach with the Browns and the Chiefs. I know how much you respect and admire him. Bill, Marty's battling Alzheimer's right now, which is so crushing and so devastating, and it affects so many people. So what's it like for you now to see him live with this condition and then take it on the way he has? Well, you know, unfortunately, my, my late wife had Alzheimer's as well, prior to dying from the melanoma and cancer, and she had early onset. And so it, 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 it's really tough. And, you know, Marty's uh, wife, Pat, is just an unbelievable rock. Um, you know, I got to know her so very well early in my career, even as, as a young coach, assistant coach, and then 
you know, I became a head coach because of, of him. And to this day, he's still a dear, dear friend. Um, it's funny, I was able to see him last year on the day of the Super Bowl um, and uh, out in Palm Springs. And we spent the day together prior to the kickoff of the game and with Pat and, and uh, uh, my wife and with Barty. And, you know, you, you get with them. And if you didn't know anything, we, we were talking football. And occasionally he would ask the same question twice. But, you know, he's very happy. I think if there's one thing that I would just say when you look at him, and um, he's he's very happy, um, still analytical uh, from the standpoint of, of, you know, articulating things. And he was an English major. And, you know, he's he's the guy that gave me a chance for him. He was my mentor. I mean, he was he was the guy that uh, I looked up to and still to this day. And, you know, he created a work ethic for me. He would make sure when you put something together, he – turned over every stone and made sure every I was dotted, every T was crossed. I mean, you had to make sure when you presented something that there was, there, it was sound. And uh, I always will remember that about him. And so, you know, he, he was a big, big uh, uh, proponent of preparation was everything. And so uh, I got my work ethic from him, the, the, the concept of pre- preparation and how to break down teams and, you know, and bringing people together because he was a very inspiring type of guy. So, um, um, the fact that I would come forward, and I know it was tough for some people to look at, but uh, knowing Marty and Pat, it's it's the reality of what all-timers is. It's very, very difficult to deal with, particularly for those that are, are close to someone. But at the same time, it's 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 you know it's something that's real, that's out there, and people do they need to, to have the support and the love, and you know it's uh, it, it's very challenging for the caretaker and, and sometimes difficult to watch, but. Uh, one thing I'll say about Marty, he's happy, and he's got a great partner, and I'm happy for him from that perspective. And I really appreciate your thoughts on that, too, Bill. That is a very difficult subject. You know, you've done something that really is absolutely amazing to me because after living and working in the ultimate fishbowl with your blinders on, the thing you have to do to be successful as a coach, you found a true-life balance. I mean, you're remaining close to the game that you love but without necessarily being in that meat grinder, yet you still experience life at the highest level. And that's just me on the outside looking in, but I would imagine a lot of coaches are actually fearful of something like that. Were you looking to create a life like that, and now that you have it, what's it like? Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, I walked away at the age of 49, and, um, you know, it was, you know, having just won a Super Bowl and had a very young team, but... You know what, Romy? I, I I just feel like I, I went right from playing to coaching. I had three daughters that grew up, and it just seemed like there was more to life than just that. And that able to get into come come to CBS, that was important to have that platform to have that. You know, I didn't, didn't I wasn't looking to go cold turkey. I didn't want to get out of it. And you know, now that I'm able to do what I'm doing now in my eleventh year, it's it's it, it, it's really just a great platform and a great format for me for where I'm at. Um, I'm able to enjoy off seasons of seven months doing more traveling than I ever would have done before or ever could have, could do if I was still coaching, spending more time with my kids and grandkids. And yeah, at the same time, being able to, to watch football, talk about football and, uh, and really kind of get, uh, you know, my little bit of scratching that itch on Sundays. And, you know, the one thing I said, you know, that, that what has is what's the most surprising thing about being in TV and someone asked me that the other day, and I said, it, it's probably just about optics. You know, I think when we, you think about TV and what we project, everything that we do, is we, we, it's the optic, and we, 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 we give our opinions and we give our judgments based on that optic. When I know from the, being on the other side of it, 
there's so much more that goes into it. There's so much more that we really don't know why certain things are happening when you're on the inside. Um, you, you, you have a better understanding of what that dynamic is, of, of what the, the obstacles really are, and, and who the really responsibilities and accountability where it really should go. Um, a lot of times you can't always articulate that because you keep those things in-house because those are the things that you're trying to work on and bringing things together. Families deal with those in-house things, not just talking about mistakes that people make, but in terms of trying to um, grow as a football team, You know, trying to, to get to be playing your best football in December. And part of that is at times holding people accountable. Part of that is being able to adjust to what you have and to adapt to the person, personnel that you have. So um, there's so much more than just the actual optic, but I think what we try to do on Sunday, what I try to do is, is maybe try to bring a little bit of insight and maybe a voice of reason at times when needed as to what we optically see and maybe what really may be the case. Yeah, it's so interesting because I can't tell you, Bill, how much of a kick I get out of just working on that show in my small role. I would never ever equate what you and the other guys do on the show to what you used to do. But correct me if I'm wrong, you all kind of drop into your former roles to a certain extent. As an example, right before air, you're always hyped. You're coaching everybody up. You're motivating the team. Boomer and Phil Sims do their quarterback thing where they make sure everybody knows it's go time and where they should be and what they need to do. And then you've got Nate Burleson, who's the new hotshot, who just wants the ball and he wants to make plays. I mean, is it me or on some level does it feel like that to you? You know what? I think you hit the nail on the head. It probably here. I think I never thought about it that way. But yeah, yeah, you're right. We all we all kind of revert back as to what we're doing because you know what? It is our game time. You know that that is for us for that hour show. It's live. You know there's you know there's no like okay, I'd start this this segment over. And it's like in a football game, you don't start a game over. You go with the game as it goes, as it unfolds. You kind of adjust as you're going. You know, that's why we try. We do a lot of ad-libbing and cut some of the conversations because, you know what, that's what the people want to hear. They want to see what the couple guys, that the people that play the game and coach the game, um, what they think about certain situations. And JB is a master at being able to bring certain elements in, bring people in, and kind of do the bridging of that between uh, the, the, the person out in, that, in, the, in the seat and, you know, and the in, in the studio itself, as you yourself come in. I mean, you, you give the commentary, you provoke thought with the things you say, and we love kind of going off on our own little tangent, as you always do. And I think that's what makes television great. And you're right, we do. We all kind of fall back into, you know, what kind of got us and brought us onto that platform, whether it be coaching, playing, or as you do, sitting there talking with all the different elements of people throughout the course of, of a year and of the week of your job, and you bring kind of those same, same elements to it when you come on and you kind of, like, again, you, you, you rant and rave and you provoke some thought. I think that and when you can provoke, provoke thought, that's what our show should be about. Yeah, and I appreciate you saying that, too, because that that's what I do. I just have those opinions of the fan, and, and I say that, and then you guys can just shoot them down or, or talk about them. And it's, just, it's just such a blast. But because we've never lived that life, is there any way for you to explain, Bill, what it's like? I mean, when you live that life and you coach in that life, you're experiencing the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, and you're doing it every single week on the highest level. Can you even explain what those things feel like, like how much the lows hurt, how great the highs feel, and what that was like to live that life, to live in that fishbowl? You know, really, the best way I could just say is that, you know, the one thing that the people that live the highs and lows are families because they're the ones out in the public. For us, we're insulated. We really don't go out in the public that much. We're with each other every day. So I'm, I'm, every day that I go in there, I'm, I'm living in the now. 
I stay right in the now. If we have a bad practice, it bothers me. If we have a good practice, I feel good. But the most important thing you can do through the course of the season is not get so high with the highs and get too low with the lows. So I used to always say you're never as good as you think you are, and you're never as bad as they say you are. It's never as good as it seems and never as bad as it appears. So the ability to keep things in perspective, the ability to go through the roller coaster ride, and at the same time not get caught up in it, don't let the outside noise, as a lot of times you hear coaches referring to it, is you guys are talking about this on the outside. In here, we don't see it that way. Because you know what? That's what the culture is you're trying to create. It's kind of a culture that's based on preparation. It's based on perspective. It's based, based on balance. And it's based on having calling people accountable. If you can have that sense of structure, direction, and accountability, you have an ability then to go through the season. And like I said, you're, you, there's going to be ups and downs on the outside as people look at it. But for you, you're trying to just continue to work week in, week out, staying in the now, and continue to strive to become playing your best football in the month of December and January. All right, so what do you miss about that previous life? Everything. You miss it. <laughs> you huh. know, you miss, I tell you, what you miss is the competition. What you miss is the daily routine with the players and coaches. And, and then really the, 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 the Sundays when it all comes together. And then when it doesn't come together, you know what? Let's come back in here and let's get this thing. Let's get let's turn this thing around. And here's what I see. And so it just becomes this series of challenges and obstacles and opportunities. It's the journey that culminates when you can do it, and when it culminates into a Super Bowl victory. It's it's the ultimate journey, and it's one that you know it's more about the sacrifices, challenges, and achievements that you have along the way that really make it more satisfying than actually the game itself. What do you what what do you not miss about it? is unfortunately you have to live that in a fishbowl. Unfortunately, you have to answer those questions more so because there's so much more coverage. It's, it's, we're in such a more transparent world. So you're dealing with all the things, whether it be someone tweeting this or someone saying that, what they said on this show. Um, you know, and so you know, that's, that's the part at times. And like I said, a lot of times it's not so much you, it's your family that lives through those series of ups and downs. And so, you know, it's, it, it's, you know I love competition. I love you know, putting together game plans. I love competing on Sundays and, you know, the, the, the chess match that you have in terms of play calling and decision making. And, you know, that you can never repeat that. You're never going to find another job that's going to give you the same thing. But at the same time, I, I you know, when you go into in that job, there's never, there's no off season. You get six weeks right before the, the, the training camp starts, but those six weeks, you're just waiting for one phone call from a guy that, you know, made a, a knucklehead decision and you have to like all of a sudden alter that. So you you never really get away from it from the free agency to the draft to the OTAs to training camp and then to the season. Whereas now in this lifestyle that I do have, there's opportunity to have another life. And it's so true, right? I mean, you know what you signed up for. We all know what we signed up for, but it doesn't mean that our kids signed up for it. They were just kind of born into it. So it involves so many right. other people. Now, Bill, you mentioned your wife. I've heard quite a bit about your wife, Veronica, or Queen V, as she is known to her <laughs> friends and fans. I mean, she's a rock star, quite literally. She is a rock star. She's a musician. She's got a huge following. You're used to being the guy wherever you go. So I'm curious, what's it like to be in the Queen's world where everybody wants to meet and talk to her? And, well, maybe not so much the coach. And it's your job to support her. <laughs> Uh, and it's great. It's great, uh, Romy. Really, she's she's just a wonderful individual. She's she's my best friend, and 
uh, three daughters adore her, and she's uh, and she, and she is she's very very good. And the greatest thing about it is, you know, my second love to football is music. Her second love to music is football. She's a huge Jets fan, so we're able to really we really enjoy similar things in life and i love it i go see her play and i'll never miss i never miss it i'll just sit in the back by the bar with my white hat on and i just take it all in and uh um i never never wanted that attention even when i was coaching i i, I never forgot where i came from i grew up in crafton pennsylvania and a paper route when i was nine years old working a steel mill when i was in college um those are things i'll never forget that's a, that's a very part of who i am the very fiber of who i am and so um, being able to support her um, and, and all the things that she's doing, it's a true joy. And I feel very lucky and, and, and honored, and I'm very proud of her. She's very good at what she does, and she's a great uh, – she, she goes to all the Thursday games with me, and, and I, get all her, uh, I go to all her, her, uh, her musical um, outings that she has. So uh, we support each other and best friends, and uh, it's a great relationship. God, that's so great. I mean, that's I'm a very lucky be. man. No, that's the way it's supposed to be. You're both each other's biggest fan. So finally, Bill, growing up the way you did in a small town like that, I also marvel how well you've acclimated to Manhattan. What do you like about living in Manhattan? You know, me coming from California every other week, I've got to find my way around there, but you seem awfully comfortable, awfully good at it. Uh, you know what's so funny is when I, when I stepped down, I, I moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, right. and, and I uh, used to come up here for the weekend, and I, like you, I said, boy, New York City, I can't wait to get out of here. I come up here on a Saturday morning. I can't. I got out of here Sunday night. I said, wow, how can anybody live there? Now I live right in Manhattan. I'm right, right in the middle, and I, I can't wait to get back here. I'm a New Yorker at heart. It's vibrant. Um, there's so much to do. You can walk the streets, um, and uh, I just think it's one of the really, really special places in the world. There's nothing like this place, no matter where you go. Um, so much to do in a very small area, uh, so many different ways of getting around, so many people, so many ethnic groups love Central Park. I think it's 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 the eighth wonder of the world um, or whatever, and, and I, I just um, can't say enough about it. So love this city, and uh, like I said, I love it because it's so vibrant. So last thing going out the door, if Queen V is a Jets fan, what music, Bill, are you listening to? What's in your car? What are you bumping? What's your thing? Oh, I, I'm, I'm total like R&B and uh, Motown, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, George Benton, Lord Luther Vandross, and I will listen to some Billy Joel, some Fleetwood Mac. Um, oh, I'm a big 70s guy, Romy. I love the 70s. I, I was fortunate enough that I graduated uh, high school in 75, so I had the early 70s in high school, the late 70s in college, and I listened. Lionel Richie, like I said, Billy Joel, you name it. Rolling Stones. Um, uh, I'm, I love all the music now. Now I've become a big uh, country music player, uh, uh, fan too. So it's uh, I, I just I love I love live entertainment and uh, and all kinds of music. Honestly, my wife was a hard rock. Uh, she grew up with, and so it uh, she was rock and roll all the way. So um, like I said, I. I have a great appreciation for musicians and uh, and just really the art of writing and and composing, and um, I, I have great respect for it. What a blast. Bill, it is so great to see you on the NFL on CBS, and for you to come in here and do this bonus duty or overtime duty, even though you have to deal with me every other week, it is so great to have <laughs> hey, you. I love hey, Anytime, Romy, listen, I love having you on the show. I, I, I think your commentaries are awesome. <laughs> it, it's, not, it's not even so much what you say. 
Somehow it's just the way you say it. I love it. That was just awesome. And remember, Coach Cower is an analyst for the NFL on CBS, and you can catch him Sundays throughout the season on the NFL Today. You can also catch him on the NFL Today for Thursday Night Football as the Chiefs take on the Raiders this week. Angular. Cassie. Opulent. If you're not familiar with those wine terms, congratulations, you are just like me. See, I don't care if wine clubs and critics babble on about herbaceousness. I just want to know, does it taste good? Luckily, I found First Leaf, the only wine club that's based on your tastes. I just received my First Leaf order, and there are some damn good wines here. Here's how this works. Customize your First Leaf order by selecting the color, wine regions, and frequency of your wine shipments. First Leaf then creates an introductory three-pack of wine to get you started. With First Leaf's introductory pack, you'll get three for only five bucks each. Normally, these bottles of wine go for $20 each, if not more. First Leaf is my new favorite way to rate and buy quality wine. To order your three-pack of introductory wine for 15 bucks, go to tryfirstleaf.com slash Rome. That's three bottles of wine for only $15 at tryfirstleaf.com dot com slash Rome. Experience First Leaf today at tryfirstleaf.com slash Rome. Kevin Millar is an absolute beauty. I mean, this guy has so many things. He's a SoCal bro, if you ask me. He's a World Series champ. He's an unbelievable host of the show Intentional Talk on the MLB Network. Now, what he's not is boring, dry, uninteresting. In fact, quite the opposite. This dude's one of a kind. And I could not be more pumped over how this conversation went. We get into everything from what he does after he drops his daughter off at school every single day to how it felt to lean into one and go yard at the age of 45. So if you are of age and it's safe to do so, go ahead and pour a shot of Jack for this one. But don't throw it back just yet. Trust me, you will know when it's go time. Jimmy, what up, brother? Kevin, my man, I got to start off by saying, and it's great to have you on, you have set this thing up beautifully, your post-playing days beautifully. I mean, among other things, you're living in Austin, you're co-hosting Intentional Talk with Chris Rose on MLB Network weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, so not only are you able to stay in the game, Kevin, but you can do so on your own terms. What is a normal day like for you in season? It's a great question. Morning, drop off my seven-year-old daughter at school. She's going to be there by like 7.30, so I do it at 7 o'clock. The reason why, I go straight to the golf course on a Tuesday through Friday, yes. have coffee and eggs, and I have a couple of these old guys, Jimmy, that I love. They're like 75, 78, Texas boys, but you learn a lot. You sit there and you shoot the, the stuff with them, right? And then you get up and you have your meal, and then you go to the driving range for about eh, 15, 20 minutes, and you go straight to the first tee box with a group of your boys. You play a little $2.00 two-hour wolf game on the, on the golf course. And then you're constantly in that TV rush about the 14th hole because by that time your producer's called. They want you to call Josh Donaldson to see if you can get on the thing. They want you to text somebody. Can you get Big Poppy? Can you get Adam Jones? Can you get... So that starts about the 14th hole, and I usually start three-putting by the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th. I lose about $42 and head straight home. Oh, my gosh, Kevin. That is incredible. The only thing better than being a major leaguer is probably that. So how are you hitting them right now? What's your number? <laughs> I'm a five handicap, brother. You know what? Uh, my whole goal in life right now, okay, I didn't play golf when I played. I played golf once a year, went to somebody's charity event, tried to hit the ball as far as you can, one of those golfers. But now when I, when I got released by the Cubs in 2010, I picked up golf. I needed golf. I needed something mentally to compete. You can't master this game. 
But my goal in life now is to win that Tahoe American Century Tournament in July or the Diamond Resorts Golf Tournament in January in Orlando. So those are like the masters for us fake celebrities, fake athletes that go there and think we can golf. Dude, there's nothing fake about you. And I was going to say, first of all, those events, those are no joke now. What would mean more to you, winning, winning in Tahoe or winning with the Red Sox when they had gone decades and decades and decades without? <laughs> you know what? At that point, obviously, Sox Nation, because I didn't know about the Tahoe event. Right now, <laughs> I've got memories for that for life. It's the Tahoe. <laughs> I know. I, mean, it. I know. Mark it. Mulder's won back. Mark Mulder's won back-to-back years. I mean, I'm like Mark. You need to get out of here and go to the the Web.com tournament and let us try to do better now. You know, it was Marty Fish and Mark Mulder. I mean, there's some sticks up there. John Smoltz. He finishes top ten. Yeah, it means more right now, Jimmy. Right now hosting that trophy in Tahoe in July when it's about 82 degrees. You're looking at Lake Tahoe with white cap mountains. Oh, I see you working. But at the same time, though, Kevin, to be the man, you got to beat the man. So if you could rip that thing from Mulder, it would mean even more to you. Now, Kevin, listen, you and I have never had this conversation. This is amazing. I mean, you're in Austin, and I think people forget you grew up in Los Angeles. Not only grew up in Los Angeles, but you went to uni high school on the west side, and I just found out you went to Emerson Junior High School. Why this is significant to me, Kevin, I grew up in the Valley, but I started on the west side. I was on that same track. I would have gone to Emerson. I would have gone to uni. i got to know what else elementary schools you go to went to warner right there behind la north uh, what is it off of wilshire and uh the santa monica boulevard back in that in that really rich area <laughs> and how how i ended up there because i lived in an apartment on on wilshire and westwood you bet and all my buddies were rich and i was like wow this is awesome and I went to emerson junior high school and then from there i went to Hart high school okay in ninth grade but then you ended and up at uni, right? So, like for instance, I grew up in Beverly Glen Park before we moved to the 818. I got to know, what was baseball like at University High School? Yeah, it was, uh, it was awesome. In 1988, I was a junior. We won the, what was it, the CIF or whatever, whatever we were, the city championship in Dodger Stadium. We beat Bell High School. Oh, yeah. And it was like the coolest thing ever because I grew up a Dodger fan. I mean, that was it. You go there and listen to Scully. My dad had been Scully on the radio at 790 every day. And, you know, he lived in Valencia. My mom lived in Santa Monica. So that's how I kind of went back and forth. But ultimately ended up there at uni. And it was awesome. I mean, we had, we had a, you know, a couple dudes drafted. You know, I remember Greg Alexander. I think he went like in the third round with the Orioles. And we had some studs. J.J. Walker was on our team. He played in the NFL with the Minnesota Vikings for a little bit. But it was the coolest thing ever going to Dodger Stadium and winning that city championship. Oh, no, that was the thing. In this town, that was the thing. If you played for that championship in that yard as a high school player, that was amazing. So maybe, maybe, Kevin, you've got a tiny bit of Dodger blue still left in your blood. i got to ask then, easy to second guess right now, considering Justin Turner hit it about 700 feet, but what do you make of Joe Madden's decision not to go with Wade Davis in the ninth inning of a tie game Sunday night in the ninth? John Lackey's my neighbor here in Austin, Texas. Okay, I love him to death. Had a great career. At that point, he's not the go-to guy in that situation. Wade Davis is. So I think Joe Madden or whoever, uh, I know they, this, this, this just doesn't happen, I guess is my point. There's, there's definitely talks with Theo and Good Hoyer and the group of all the paper pushers figuring out all the numbers and stuff. But in a tie game on the road, in the ninth inning, you've got to give your offense a chance to score in the tenth. If you don't, you're not going to have a chance to win the game, obviously. And I thought that, uh, yeah, Wade Davis should have maybe been in that game. But like you said, it's a great armchair sport. Kevin, before I ask you about the glorious run of 04, do you ever get sick of talking about the glorious run of 04? <laughs> you know what? I don't. I don't. I will say this. The walk probably sometimes because, you know, you're, you know, you 
I think he had the greatest walk in history. At that point, that's that's a big walk. But you never looked at yourself as a guy that walked, right? And, he, and it was a big walk. And the Dave Roberts made a big stolen base, and Billy Miller got the big single, and then Poppy hit the big homer. It's funny how certain moments in series are big, and we all think it's just the home run, right? Kurt Gibson in 98, here we are, whatever it was, 29 years later, we got Justin Turner going deep, dead center, right? Those are the moments remember. You don't really remember how those happened and the walk started. So I guess if there's one thing I'm sick of, it's, it's people know as the walker. But at the end of the day, I think that's that was a big moment. Look, Dave Roberts, that's one of the all-time bags. That's one of the greatest stolen bases in history. But, Kevin, if there's anything to be pissed about, it's the fact that you would have got the bag yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, Jimmy, let me tell you. Posada would have thrown me out probably by 26 feet. That's the one thing I was asked today by my son. We were having lunch today. Clay Buckholz and I and, and my two boys were sitting here eating some lunch. And he asked Clay Buckholz what he's ran the 40-yard dash in. And I think he said like 4-2-9. He was clocked out because Clay was a heck of a receiver in high school and all this stuff. And then they looked at me and they said, Dad, what you running in? I'm like, son, I, I, I'm going to assume about a 5. I know I was about a 4-6 to first base. And the average in the big leagues is about a 4-2. I was slow. Okay, I was slow. He gets me by 27 feet, Jimmy. So in 04, Kevin, Dan Shaughnessy famously called the Red Sox a bunch of frauds. When you trail the Yankees three games to none, you confront him. The video of you telling him, don't you let us win tonight, becomes the stuff of legend. Then you go out, you talk some junk to A-Rod at first base. I just need to know this. What was that comeback like as you were living it? What were those couple of weeks of your life like as you were in the middle of it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy because... We're down three games. We got blown out in game three. Not only lose, we got blown out. I mean, my dad said, I hope Gary Sheffield and Matsui had blisters on their hands from getting four hits, banging balls off the monster that night before. Go to the bathroom day four, and you wake up and you see fraud by Dan Shaughnessy. The, the Red Sox are a pack of frauds. That was the only thing that got me. I was like, you know what? We can say we're getting our butts kicked, Red Sox stink, whatever they want. But the, we're not frauds. Yankees can be better than us, but I believe we're not frauds. You go look at Pedro Martinez, you look in the eye and tell him he's a fraud. Or David Ortiz or Trot Nixon. That's not who we were. We were ball players, and then the Yankees might have been better than us. So at that point, that's why I confronted him. I said, one thing, your, your hair sucks, Dan. Your hair sucks when he came walking in the, in the locker room, and he kind of looked at me all embarrassed. And So it was my point to embarrass him as he just wrote, we're frauds, and then – as we're in the dugout out there by the field, that's when the, the boomstick caught us, like, don't let us win tonight. I'm telling you right now. And he says, why are you so hard on me? I was like, you call the fraud. But I'm telling you, don't let us win tonight because we win tonight. We have Pedro game five, showing game six, and anything can happen in game seven. That The game four matchup I didn't love because Derek Lowe and the Yankees wasn't a great matchup. That's all. How we're going to win, we'll figure it all out. It all happened, and it, and it kind of happened on camera. And exactly the way it went was pretty amazing. Again, you look at that team and, and all the character and all the characters. Of course, the legend has it that the 4 team knocked back shots of Jack prior to game six and seven, something else you've covered. But can you put this thing to rest once and for all? Did that happen or did that not happen? Shots of Jack Daniels happened. The reason why it happened, we were in Yankee Stadium. We had, oh, let's see, it was about 46 degrees, a little mist. And, and they always played Yankeeography as you as you hit as a visiting player. So t- today, the Houston Astros and the New York Yankees are playing the Yankees. Stadium. Yankees are going to be hitting to hip-hop, a little Jay-Z, a little Guns N' Roses, whatever it is, and, then, and you got a little vibe hitting. When the Astros take the batting cages, you will hear Yankeeography. You will see Bernie Williams and Derek Jeter and Yogi Berra and everybody that's on Yankeeography. And there's a little slow-moving piano. 
Well, that's the vibe. So I just walked by Frank Cohen's office. Hey, bro, we're not hitting. The, we're not hitting on the field today. And he's like, "What?" I go, "No, we're not falling for the Yankeeography. We're hitting in the cages." And he's like, "Well, yeah, yeah, whatever. I mean, whatever you guys want to do." Well, doing that, Jimmy, at that point was like, "Well, this is the Super Bowl. There's four million media members out there, and the Sox aren't taking the field. We're inside." As I walked by that clubhouse manager, Luke Cusa's office, I saw a huge bottle of Jack Daniels, and it was perfect timing to grab it. Throw some Gatorade cups out there. It was about 6.42 after everybody hit, and we did a toast. Boom! Shots of Jack. A couple of dudes didn't do it. They were on the field playing catch. Most, a uh, couple bullpen guys. The rest of us did it, brother, and we won. Well, what do you got to do after you do that? You got to do six, seven. Obviously, we won those games. We went off to poor St. Louis, and those poor little guys, <laughs> I mean, they had a great year. They were the best team in baseball, if you want to say it. They won 100-plus games, but they had no chance because guess what? Jimmy, you know what we're doing. Bam, 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 and we won four straight games. So we went 6-0, and oh, symbolic toast, we'll call it, Sox Nation. Poor little slaps ran into a buzzsaw. I don't know, Kevin. I'm thinking about maybe getting out the Gatorade cups before my radio program every single day right now <laughs> and crushing a shot or two. You can't lose, right? We could do that. And Kevin, you had 170 career home runs, and you had some enormous ones, but i got to be straight now. As I look back on your career, I think the biggest charge I ever got watching you may have been bomb number 171, the one you hit <laughs> while playing at a 25th anniversary game for where it all started for you, the St. Saint Paul Saints. For those who have not seen it, Kevin, I want them to listen to it right now quickly. Drilled high in the air left field. Are you kidding me? write that script. Kevin, no joke. I mean, that's incredible. Jumping ship as a 45-year-old man. I can do an entire interview on that at bat alone, but let me ask you a couple of quick things. How long had it been since you had seen live pitching? How the hell did you do that, and how good did it feel to run into that one? I will be honest with you. Seven years till I saw live pitching. <laughs> oh, man. And I haven't, I haven't swung a bat. I have golfed, but I haven't swung a bat, so I'm like, oh, God, okay, here we go. He put there some, some uh, flips. So we're in the, the garage. I hit 30 times with flips, underhand soft toss. That was it, soft toss. Flew to St. Paul, Minnesota Saturday, went straight to the golf course for a little event that they had, played nine holes, and straight to the stadium at 2.30. I was nervous wrecked, haven't swung, haven't seen live pitching, didn't want to blow up my oblique because, the, you know what, Lake Tahoe was right around the corner two weeks later. Priorities. So I'm thinking, great, I can just see my luck. I'm going to blow out. The fat's going to come off my, uh, you know, <laughs> my, my, my underwear, and here we go. I, I swear, I took ground balls where I felt old. Where I felt old was defensively. Like, I couldn't, like, move my feet and throw to second, turning two. So I told Skipper, I'm like, you know, maybe I'll just DH, you know, because I was supposed to play first. I'm like, that's where I felt like an old man, like a dad. Then I went to cages, and I hit, and I was on the field hitting, you know, line drives and normal. I didn't hit a home run out. I didn't hit a home run. I tried to. Didn't hit one out during batting practice. It's a true story. I'm hitting seventh. The manager of their team complained because I can't play the whole game. They said I'm allowed to get one at bat. Huh. So my manager felt terrible. He's like, man, I'm so sorry. You know, I, 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 I feel terrible, you know. I said, George, you don't worry about it. I just get one at bat. And I said, I don't want to ruin anybody's, you know, thing. I was up there going to ambush it. Uh-oh, pitch, slider in the dirt, you know, back leg. And the lefty shook twice. I was sitting change up, and then he shook. I'm like, he's coming here. <laughs> it was like all of a sudden your, your, your instincts take over. And I've been hitting seven years, and he, and he threw the heater right there. Boom, hammered it. And I was like, I homered. Well, I'm out of first. I'm thinking, what just happened? I'm a dad. You know, and it was the coolest thing ever. And, you know, I, I, was, I didn't even know we had cameras out there. I asked the lady if she had got a picture of it. And sure enough, 
I had 74 text messages that, that you know, they had saw it and it, it, you know, it was videoed and whatever it is. The game was on TV, and so it was pretty awesome. Oh, no, dude. It, it, you're selling it short. It was incredible. And I love – and I'd say to you, hey, look, I mean, Kevin, honestly, the guy, he grooved one, right? But he didn't. This guy wanted to get you out. I saw his reaction. He didn't even look back. He shook twice. He came in, and you got all of it. My only thing about it was you had a little Sammy Sosa bunny hop out of the box. I mean, Kevin, if there was ever a time to style one, that was it. And I mean all in. <laughs> Jose Batista bat toss, Barry Bonds pirouette out of the box, Jeffrey Leonard one flap down, like Dante Bichette back in the day when he would let the bat fly. I mean, all of it. I'd still be running around the bases right now if I were you. If there's one thing I could take back, you're right. I I, I failed at the true pimp job. I did, because I knew it was gone. People do say, they go, did he groove it on purpose? Like the cow ripped home run back in Seattle with Channel Park. I go, guys, let me just be real honest with you. When you say that, I just told you, I took batting practice, and they're grooving him 35 pitches. I couldn't hit one out. Right. So right. whether he said, Kevin, there's a fastball coming, it doesn't matter. That doesn't mean home run. And the kid was at the bar that night, so the boys were all drinking a couple cocktails, and that team was at the bar, and he's all nervous. And one of the guys go, he wants to take a picture. And I said, bring him over here. I gave him a hug, and he goes, man, I, I really I, I didn't think you were swinging, so I like, I shook to the, to the fastball. And next thing you know, I'm like, what just happened? You know, so it was kind of funny how he was thinking, I was thinking, but it was really an awesome moment. Oh, I love it. It was a great, great moment. Like, since you, you're the oldest of the old school, I just want your thoughts on this. What do you come out of the game's unwritten rules and the code? For instance, is baseball still better served policing itself? Or maybe have we reached a point where stricter rules are necessary about throwing at guys before somebody gets badly hurt or even killed? Yeah, there's a fine line we talked about today on the show with the Yasiel Puig, you know, antics and how far do you go. Listen, I've come a long way on it. I couldn't stand it. I really couldn't. I mean, I thought there was always a way to play the game and to respect the game. And what is that? You know, some guys can say, what's that mean, respect the game? Well, it means just play baseball. You can do whatever you want. Uh, Honest to God, Jim, you could hit a home run, John Lackey, do a 360 and do a backflip. You can. And, you know, your team is going to hug you and look at you. But it's it's do it, it's there at your own risk, right? The next time you face him, you're probably gonna neck ball. So I always tell guys, do what you do what you got, but you know what's right. If you wanna be embarrassed, then do something embarrassing. You know what I'm saying? So the Puig stuff, I just want you to understand that we are in the postseason. Have fun, do your thing, and he's having a remarkable postseason. But let's not be too goofy. Every pitch he's taking, the hips are moving, the feet are going, he thinks he's you know, Adrian Beltre. Stop. The hand up and the double, I have no problem with. That's the way the game is now. You bat flip singles. Got it. But you still want to also focus and lock in on what the true thing is. This isn't about you. It's about us. And I think that's where that fine line is. Something's got into that guy, right? He's not the same guy. I wonder how much credit Dave Roberts gets because he's showing up when they need him most. Yeah. Dave Roberts, give him a lot of credit from what, you know, you saw him. He sat him down. He's benched. I just think the focus is there, right? The focus from Yasiel is there now. But he is a fun player to watch and there's that lightning rod aspect about him right like Bryce Harper same thing the superstar type scene Bryce a much better ball player Puig not quite as good as a ball player but he'll throw a guy out from the foul pole he can run as fast as like a running back you know and he can ball as far as he can it's just you wait for him to put together this year he's had a great year he really has and you've seen him grow up and treat people better because behind the scenes it wasn't that way a couple years ago so I give him credit. We had him on the show this year. I really liked him after I got off the show. I said, man, I really like that kid. Because I, I had a tough time before before I knew him. 
you play the game and then you used to watch the media, so you've got thoughts on this. You want to do, when you do something, you want to be different than everything else. Tell me about intentional talk. What do you look to do on that program? And what do you like best about doing that show every day? You know, when it first started, you know, you didn't know what it was. You had to build a brand. What is intentional talk? I'm like, I never did TV. I don't know anything about it. I'm just a baseball guy, right? My whole life. Went to L.A. City Junior College over there near USC and then transferred to Lamar University, St. Paul Saints to the big leagues. Got it. I will tell you this. Intentional talk, now that it's built as brand, it's, it's, I try to bring the clubhouse aspect to television. Give people something fun and that they know that they don't know about the player. Because we know that you're hitting 330 with 25 and driving in 90, or you know you're 14 and two. We we see that. We have stats. We we, we watch the game. Tell me about you though. Who's cheap? <laughs> Tell me something funny. I want to know what sport you played in high school. But it brings out humor. You know when we if I showed you an old picture of Jim Rome back when you played tennis at Emerson Junior High School, that's funny. You know like oh my God you played yeah but I was terrible. So you get these players that these ball players that used to play you know, basketball, and they got the tight John Stockton you know, <laughs> right. shorts on back in the day. That's the stuff I want, you know, people to watch the show for because it's funny and players are going to laugh at themselves. And if you can't laugh at yourself, that's probably not the right show for you. And that wraps up Episode 9 of the Jim Rome Podcast. If you're looking for more, no worries. I've got you. Because if you like what you heard just now, you will like the other eight episodes too. Harvey Levin, Aaron Rodgers, Bob Costas, Dirk Nowitzki, and more. If you can, press the subscribe button and thumb out a review. Also, find me on Twitter at Jim Rome. Let me know what you think there. And remember to check out our daily program every noon until 3 Eastern on CBS Sports Radio and streaming live on JimRome.com or catch it on demand via the Daily Jungle Podcast, also available through iTunes and Google Play. Thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you with Episode 10 on Tuesday the 24th. Make sure you look for that. I will see you then. I am out. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.